Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Pete Thamel. The bubble is like a like a tuna casserole left out for three weeks in the <laughs> desert. Like it's just this like odious mess. And SI's Pat Forty. They have more money than sense now, so you've got bad ADs <laughs> making bad decisions on bad searches. And here's Pat. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated. I am joined by Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports. And we are not joined by Dan Wetzel, who is off last seen drinking Corona beer, daring to take on the coronavirus at some <laughs> kid's soccer tournament, I think in Florida or something. Is that where he is? Do we know? I'm not sure. I, I knew he must have been off the off the map, though, when I was in Amherst at his alma mater this weekend for a game in a town and in, in, in school he's donated no money to, we may add. And I saw an empty 30 pack of Bush beer and took a picture of it and sent it to the group text <laughs> and got no response. I was like, Dan must be gone because, yeah. you know, I assume there were only faithful listeners of the pod toasting Mr. Wetzel in his honor and his refusal the Mullen Center could use a little brush up, by the way. Dan Dan should be dipping into those uh, those <laughs> coffers. You know, maybe some of his Marriott points from the Courtyard Airport in uh, in Miami could be sent back to the uh, to the good people in uh, to the good people in Amherst. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's if if there's ever like something that's red meat for Wetzel to respond to in the group text, it's pictures of of large <laughs> containers of Bush and Bush Light, whatever the heck else garbage he drinks. He did. Yes, he did send us a picture of a Corona uh, last night. Said something to the effect that I'm going to die. But uh, <laughs> so he may be gone at this point. If so, R.I.P. Wetzel. It was fun. Good run. Yeah. No. We'll carry on without you. We will carry on without him today. The good thing is, with Dan gone, we can talk more college basketball. Since we yes. know Dan has very low tolerance for that. But we're going to start with a little football because there's still football news because. My gosh, the hiring and firing cycle just continues to to bear fruit. Unbelievable. We're in mid-February, and we still got things going on. Last week, we had Mark D'Antonio jilting uh, Michigan State at an inopportune time, and then Luke Fickle turning them down. And then, lo and behold, midnight Mel Tucker in a late-night maneuver after having spoken to a Colorado donor group and done three Colorado radio appearances to talk about his commitment to the Buffs, 
leaves for Michigan State, takes the job. I don't think anybody blames him for doing it for the money, but the way he went about it was not very good. Now we've got an opening at Colorado. But, uh, Pete, your thoughts on Midnight Mel's run from Boulder to East Lansing? So, obviously, saying you're going to stay somewhere, spending a day parading around a state saying you're going to stay somewhere, and leaving is not great. Now, obviously, all of us would leave for for a, a, a better job if offered twice the salary, right? That's not really like a that's not really like a huge you know it's hard to argue with mel tucker on that but i am actually going to blame midnight mel in the corner he was backed into on the michigan state search because it was so unwieldy and because it was so unfocused they simply could have gone and talked to Luke Fickle first, who was clearly their top target. And then if he said no, they could have targeted Mel. What they did was they went and talked to Mel and then said, you've got to And then it leaked out via Michigan State that they talked to Mel, which is totally like unself-aware of that. Oh, by the way, he's a Division One Power Five head coach who shouldn't be talking to another school and all the ramifications that go with that. You can't interview a sitting Power Five guy and be like, hey, hang out for like three, four days while we go after the guy we really want. Yeah. Nothing about how the Michigan State search unfolded made any modicum of sense. And you know who it ended up costing? Michigan State. Because Mel Tucker would have gone for $4 million. But because they bungled themselves into a corner, they ended up paying through the nose and Michigan State fans jumped on me because I wrote a column saying they bungled their search. And I said there are two things can happen. You can either overpay for Mel Tucker or someone else you've already talked to, like or want to talk to, like a Robert Sala, or you, you can simply like hire Mike Tressel and try again next year. They could have found someone else decent. I'm not saying there were no other candidates, but those were really the two only options left. And Mel Tucker had all the leverage, arm barred the whole Michigan State athletic department up against the wall and took him for every nickel. And you know what? Good for him because Michigan State put him in a bad position to have to go back on his word. So Mel got what was coming to him in in a, in a lot of ways. That, that search was a mess. You're correct. And I still don't understand why they went about it completely backwards in terms of going after their number one candidate. Do you have any insight? Why did they talk to Mel Tucker and Robert Sala first when everybody knew they wanted Luke Fickle? I think Fickle wanted some separation from signing day. Okay. Which is a very human, real thing to do. But by giving him the separation from signing, they they gave him four days to overthink it. Yeah, right. Right? Like yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna go, it's hard it is hard to leave a college football coaching job for another one. Because you're essentially your own entity. You have thirty something employees. There's people you gotta leave, people you gotta take, people whose lives are affected, who have wives and kids, and you know, there's recruits you've just courted and poured your heart into trying to lure there for the last months. There is a huge human element that goes into leaving one coaching job for another. And Luke Vickle, I believe, had just signed three or four players that Wednesday. He had just signed the best recruiting class in school history. And to walk out on them the next day was going to be difficult. And I get that. By Michigan State giving him that period of time, the moronic trustee up at Michigan State who called him a waffling flake. <laughs> the search was a waffling flake. Right. Like the whole yeah. search was like completely rudderless and motionless. It was, it was really just poorly executed. Now, look, the Alabama search that ended with Nick, with Nick Saban was like the most meandering search of all time, right? But it ended up with Nick Saban, so it yeah. ended up okay. Right. So you can you can never you have to judge the search by the result. That said, 
this search at the very least cost them five to seven million dollars. Sure. Of their own money by their own doing. Right. I mean, they're paying him a six-year, $32.5 million contract for a guy who has a, been a head coach for one year and went five and seven. It's yes. literally unprecedented. I mean, it has yes. not happened. Nobody with that record and that track, that amount of experience has ever gotten that much money. And that's what Michigan State did to itself. And that's I touched on that last week in my column, that this is the bad business that colleges are in now and can quote-unquote, get away with because they have so much money, because the Big Ten's given $55 million a year to Michigan State, because the SEC's given $45 million a year, so Missouri can pay $4 million for six years to Eli Drinkwitz, who's been a head coach for one year. They have more money than cents now, so you've got bad ADs <laughs> making bad decisions on bad searches, and this is what happens. Yes. You know, it's just... It's it's astounding to me that, uh, but this is this is where college sports is, and you know, and again, Mel Tucker may turn out to be a very good coach there, and, and nobody's saying that. And again, yeah. nobody's blaming him for taking the job and taking the money. That's so, been somewhat lost in all of this. But Michigan State's handling of it on their own, and Tucker did not handle it well on his end. Why? You know, I know he did not want to do the radio interviews, and he was encouraged to do so anyway. He should have just said, "Look, I'm not doing them." Instead of, well, I kind of don't want to. And then doing them and saying a bunch of things that made him look bad. And he shouldn't have done the booster group. This whole thing is, well, I was playing to the whistle. Well, sometimes you got to pull yourself out of the play. You know, if you are this compromised, then, yeah, you need to send in a sub for yourself there. That 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 was just really a poor way to handle it. Let's remember, he was 5-7 and seven at Colorado with LaVisca Chenault, a yeah. generational talent at receiver for Colorado. And Stephen Montez, who had four his ups and downs, quarterback. but he was a four-year starting quarterback yeah. with a with with a with a cannon of an arm. So, and again, I'm not saying they had all these all-American pieces there, but at least he was given two cornerstones. Now, to Tucker's credit, and one of the reasons why Michigan State wanted him so badly was he has been part of both the Saban model and the Kirby Smart model, and he will come and build a recruiting operation that's going to stress the powers of the Big Ten. Now, I'm not saying they're sure. going to out-recruit Ohio State or out-recruit Michigan, but there will be infrastructure there and there will be sophistication there that places like Michigan surely don't have. And then when you go through the rest of the Big Ten, it will be ahead of the curve and certainly most of the West. And that is what Tucker did at Colorado, and he did bring in a good recruiting class. But can anyone stand on the table and say Mel Tucker will be a great coach there? Mel Tucker will get them out of that fourth spot in the in the East? No. I mean, there's just, no. There's just no way. Now, Mark D'Antonio was an all-time great coach at Michigan State. He was also aided, gifted, and enabled by Michigan dawdling through the Rich Rod and Brady Hoke eras the fall of Jim Tressel, and really the rise of Urban Meyer helped Antonio because it left those three-star Ohio kids for him to go get. Those were kids that Tressel right. would have gotten and developed before. Right. Urban yep. Meyer was going and getting Raekwon McMillan out of Georgia and, and, and brought that program more, more nationally. And then Penn State was a dawdling mess for, for much of the time of, of did. So you want to talk about a perfect storm when there's maybe a, a traditional, you know, look, Michigan State's always been good. But, the, you know, a traditional good but not great program becomes elite for a stretch. There's usually other factors that help enable that. Well, right now, Michigan is on its solid upper middle class plateau, a notch above Michigan State like it's always been. Penn State, James Franklin has humming again. And 
Ryan Day, after one year, has Ohio State on the same plane Urban Meyer had it on, and also recruiting on the same plane, which is which is very important for the uh, for the future. You can go through the West, but really. He Mel Tucker has a lot more traffic in front of him from day one than Mark D'Antonio did. No doubt. It's a very good point. Things are tougher right now than they have been. All right. So Michigan State got its guy, at least. Finally, now Colorado is the latest school left holding the bag in February. There was a report by Ian Rappaport, NFL.com, and NFL Network Monday afternoon. The Buffaloes have interviewed Brett Bielema. I was able to confirm that. So Bielema is definitely a live candidate. I know they had interest in Eric Bieniemy. If they have moved on, if they're talking to Brett Bielema, it tells me that Eric Bieniemy probably isn't coming. But we'll see how it plays out. What do you do if you're Colorado, Pete? It's a good question. I think Bielema's a nice name there. I mean, look, Bielema's a, a professional, competent college football coach. Like, the people at Arkansas would jump overboard to get a five-year run like he gave them now after just totally tanking under under Chad Morris and then making a questionable hire with Sam Pittman and just knowing how far they have to come back. I believe Bielma went to three bowl games in five years, if memory if serves yeah. right at Arkansas. Yeah. Bad first year to when he took over a mess, and then the last year things got away from him. Yes, and at Wisconsin he won three Big, big Ten titles and had a you know a, a really good record, and you know was was able to keep that program on a on a very high plane. I know this Bielma was very anxious, probably too anxious to get the Michigan State job. That may have backfired on him. He wants to be a college football coach again, and I think right now, if you look at the Pac-12, Brett Bielma's an upper class coach there. You know. Like, yeah, he's right. better than Clay Helton. He's better than Kevin Sumlin. He's better than Norm Edwards. He's more proven than Jimmy Lake. You know, he's more proven than Nick Rolovich. And, you, you know, Crystal Ball's been good. He's more proven than Jonathan Smith. David Shaw's better. Wilcox has been good. They're about equal. Like, I would, you know, it off the top of my head, he's probably the fifth best coach in the Pac-12, fourth best coach in the Pac-12. You know, the, the rest of the names, when you go through and, and look at who Colorado could get, Biennemi, he comes with some risk and some baggage now. You know, there's no question he was part of that terrible John Minbury staff. And, and there's some other off-field things that Biennemi and, and Colorado would have to, to have to answer to if they made him the head coach. Troy Calhoun's a live name there. He's coming off a double-digit win season at Air Force. He's a very safe hire. I've been told that Rick George is putting a premium in this search on head coach experience because the program is vulnerable right now and he wants someone who's been around to, to lead the program through it. Some other names, Skip Holtz, Willie Fritz, Gene Chizik, you know, that could come in and go and, and be a, uh, you know, it'd be, it'd be sort of a professional hand to help Colorado through this. How, could, how does Gene Chizik's name keep coming up? What, what on earth? Why? <laughs> Somebody explain it to me. His name comes up because they came up Mississippi State because like, well, Rick George has been intrigued by defense. Last hire, he wanted defense. That was like a, a very clear thing. So look, I am not going to be like running around, uh, you know, as the as the king of the Gene Chiswick fan club. He, without Cam Newton and Nick Fairley, is basically a below 500 coach, probably well below 500 coach. He's had more losing seasons than winning seasons. He caught lightning in a uh, in, in a bottle, obviously, with, with Cam Newton. But like also too, like there's also, he was a high-end coordinator for a long time. He's a good defensive mind. I don't know. I, I'm the one who proclaimed the day before the Oregon-Auburn title game. I walked out of the press conference there at the, the Marriott in Scottsdale, and I was with Stuart Mandel, and I said to him, Stu, do you think like 10 years from now we're going to go, remember the guy at Auburn? What's his name in the leather jacket? 
because this <laughs> guy had no presence. He was just not. Yeah, you did. You there was nothing about meeting Gene Chizik. Like, wow, that guy could be a CEO. That guy could be a lawyer. You know, and I like he tweets out like Chizik's wisdom or whatever. I'm like, <laughs> it's- lightning in a bottle is one term for what he how he got uh, <laughs> Cam Newton. But the great thing was. His name came up with Mississippi State, which was the school that turned Auburn in in the Cam Newton investigation, which is just another reason why college football in Mississippi continues to be the most amazing thing in America. But I just, I mean, wow. (laughs) He's been out of the game in terms of head coaching for a while. When he was in it, he had like two good years. And that's the Gene Chizik resume. So fully for him. A good point to me, and I thought of this because Chiswick's on ESPN. He's actually pretty good on TV. He's better than I he thought. Is, he actually, he's I know, better, way better. Yeah, he's, be- he's better than I thought. Those press conferences in the leather jacket were brutal. Oh. Were brutal. Uh, I remember asking him at that title game about uh, Auburn had had their their whole sociology scam busted, where they used to run all the players through. And part of the reason they got caught with it is they were like ahead of Duke and BC and like Stanford and the <laughs> academic rankings. And so they went from like sixth to 120th. It was something like that. So I wrote an article about it for, for the, for the New York times. And I asked Chizik, like, you know, in the APR in the last two years, you guys have dropped from X to Y. How do you explain it? He just looks at me and goes, our academic people do a great job. And I was like, well, no, actually they're not. <laughs> it was the biggest drop in all of college football during, uh, during that time. And he was just like, our academic people do a great job. And I was like, mm, I don't know. I don't know, Gene. We'll see. Uh, that's so, tremendous. But it, this was the point that Dan pointed this out on the podcast last week. And it was a great point. Like, Brett Bill was with Bill Belichick for two years. And if he'd just gone on ESPN, he'd been more marketable. And people yeah. would remind Like, Bill has a great personality. He's a great guy to go into a tough situation. He's been in front of a team. He's uh, he's one of the more engaging and affable head coaches. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Pat, that, you know, been around oh, yeah. the last 15 years. He's got a young family. I think he locks in. He locks. He will lock in for, for a run there in uh in boulder how's that style going to look like in the pac-12 too is he going to bring would he bring the smash mouth style that he had at arkansas and in wisconsin i think there's room for that i, I mean what the stanford what what, what they call it intellectual brutality style where right. they just that's, yeah. they lined up and pounded on people question is can you get the guys can you get the linemen to do it and yeah the west the west coast is short on linemen good linemen so but you know I, i'd be willing to entertain it you know it's funny we we talked about bielema when we when we thought that Michigan State was in play last week and thought he wouldn't be bad there, so I agree. I don't think he'd be bad at Colorado either. I think they could do worse. Here's your hot take: like Brett Bielma's a better coach than Mel Tucker. Well, he's certainly proven more. Yeah, he's more experienced. Yeah. He's a safe. Right. He's a safer bet. He's won three Big Tens. Now it's a different Big Ten, and things were you know things were a little muddled there at at the, what we know as the top. But like I, I think I'm very safe in saying that he's a better yeah. coach than Mel Tucker, and I would think he'd be a better hire than Mel Tucker. And that's not not oh. Tucker. I think a lot of, and I think is has a promising career. It's just it has not been proven yet. Exactly. Well, the other coaching drama out there is on the basketball side, and we're going to flip to basketball here. Came out of uh, Sunday night, late out of the All Star weekend, that John Beeline and the Cavaliers are at least discussing ending his rather short and dismal tenure with the Cavs. The team's terrible. He's made some. Big mistakes in terms of addressing his team, and the fit has just not been good on an NBA level. But, Pete, if John Beeline comes back on the market, college athletic directors will be very interested. Now, he's 67 years old, but 
He's won 500 games. He's been to two Final Fours in the last decade, been to two championship games. How marketable would he be? And then I'm, I'm going to run through some possibilities for him. But to, just first off, your thoughts on him as a marketable college coach again? It, it was clearly not working there, but I just I didn't get the sense that it was it, it could end this quickly. And when you're talking about exiting, usually exiting happens pretty quickly after, right? Yeah. Like that's just that's just the the, the cold reality of, uh, of of that world at that level. And if it's not working, there's almost like an honor in just walking away. And I don't know how they'll resolve it financially. That's going to be the, obviously the biggest hiccup because he had a five-year deal. And this was kind of his retirement package. Like when he took this job, we said, okay, he's either going to go make it and rebuild them, you know, like, like a college rebuild, or he's going to get fired and go retire. So obviously – that some sort of divorce is coming here. I can't, you know, I, I'm guessing what he it was five years, 25 million, something like that. Like think, in I that, think in that in, neighborhood, in that neighborhood, right? Yep. Uh, 20, 25 million. I, obviously they're not going to give him 20 million bucks and, and I don't know how much was guaranteed and, and, and everything, but like they'll probably give him an extra year. And, and I think knowing John Beeline being around John Beeline, as you have Pat, that he is 67, but there's nothing about his 67 in terms of energy, in terms of enthusiasm. And really, this is the important thing in terms of the ability to connect. Now, he could yeah. not connect to NBA players, but there's no argument that John Beeline wasn't connecting with kids at Michigan. One of his gripes was that they were going too fast through there and like guys were yeah. just going off and being second round picks and not really fully developing, um, which, by the way, that that train's not slowing down either. But I, I mean, you, you have a list of, of, of places, but I would think he immediately becomes the most coveted coach on the market, especially because of his track record. I think he especially becomes appealing to a Kansas or to an Arizona, which at some point is likely going to have the NCAA knife to their throat and have to make a change. Now, does he want to go to a place that may have sanctions coming up and postseason bans? And again, this is all theoretical. We're relying on the NCAA to go do their job, which they really have not done well for decades, but they have unprecedented information from these federal basketball investigations. And there is a looming guillotine over a bunch of these brand name schools. When it does come down, we'll see. And we have every right to be skeptical that it will come down. But for now, it's just it's administrative limbo. So you have that pot of schools that's that's sitting there on the precipice. And then obviously you have the regular old pot of schools that just aren't very good. Um, yeah. And here's one other yeah. thought. I'm, I'm, I'm cutting you off because you're taking my material, man. Oh, sorry. <laughs> this is the stuff Go. I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, okay. No, that's I, they're, they're, I've got like three different pots of schools here. And one of them that you touched on is the ones where that, that may have their hand forced by the scandal, uh, which would be Kansas Bill Self. Uh, you, you would figure that's probably Bruce Pearl Auburn, Sean Miller, Arizona, possibly Will Wade, LSU could all end up facing serious allegations and major charges and potentially ultimately major sanctions. But the thing is, that's not going to happen for a while. Like if John Beeline's on the market this spring, those cases won't be resolved this spring. They'll be, you know, down the line. So, you know, does he want to wait and see if he can get a blue blood job like a Kansas or an Arizona? Here's my other pots. The Big Ten, where he's done great work. Is there an itchy school there that maybe isn't sure about their coach, but now you get a chance to get a beeline, maybe you become a little more sure. It's potentially Indiana, Northwestern, maybe even Minnesota. 
Uh, any thoughts if he's he's viable back in the Big Ten? Oh, I think he's he's very viable back in the Big Ten. God, Indiana fans would crave him. And, you know, John Beeline isn't exactly like a, a stand-on-the-table guy, and he's not going to win the booster circuit, but he has the he has more personality than Archie Miller, which isn't much personality. And he also has sort of some of those, like, sensibilities that would really appeal to the old guard Indiana fan. And he is just a brilliant offensive coach, proven time and time again from Canisius to Richmond to West Virginia and obviously to, uh, to, to, to Michigan. So Indiana doesn't have an AD. And if you're going to do some high wire maneuvering like that, you need an athletic director to uh, do it. I don't know if Indiana has the the institutional fortitude right now to pull something like that off, but God, would it be a good fit? I don't know, Pat, if if Northwestern can fire Collins right now. They are beyond dreadful, 1-13, and 6-18. You and I both watched that Rutgers game uh, a week ago Sunday in the rack where they coughed up, I think, an 18-point lead. Minnesota would be interesting. He would certainly, he would certainly fit there. You know, six and eight Indiana is on the bubble at sixteen and nine. They beat Florida State. Minnesota is. Uh, yeah, I think Minnesota's still in the still on the periphery at least. You know, just because a the bubble's terrible and b that league. You know, if you're if you're even close to five hundred in that league, you're going to get consideration. The the bubble is like a like a tuna casserole left out for three weeks in the <laughs> desert. Like it's just this like odious mess. Yes, it is. I did read somewhere that somebody was actually trying to defend it and say it's a good bubble, but like, uh, no, 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 it's not. Well, that's that's the other debate, too. Like now that there are some dominant teams have risen above the the dreck in college basketball. Are there actually great teams this year? I don't think there are. You know, I think there's good teams. They're fun teams to watch. But like, you know, I went and watched. I'm skipping ahead. But like I went and watched Dayton this weekend. I wasn't like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God. You know, there was like, oh, that's a really nice team. You know, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a really nice team. So, what are other pots? I don't want to. Okay, no, that's like, the exit. My thought on the Big Ten as well. Yes, there could be some job. I think I think he'd be great at Indiana. I think he'd be great at Northwestern. I don't think those schools are ready to make those fires, though. I don't. So, as you said, Indiana, they don't have an AD. Uh, Fred Glass is retiring in May, so they're not going to. I don't think they're going to make a move. Uh, Jim Phillips seems to be behind Chris Collins. He did get the school's first ever NCAA bid in 2017. It's been a complete disaster since then, but. It's the only bid in school history. So the other pot, the ACC, where you have several guys that maybe have lasted longer than they should have, most notably Danny Manning at Wake Forest, maybe Jim Christian at Boston College in year six, no NCAA bid in sight there. Josh Pastner is in his fourth year at Georgia Tech. What do you think? Is there an ACC landing spot for John Beeline? Yeah, and and I wouldn't, I wouldn't not put Clemson on that list either. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the Broward Brunel is sort of in, in the hamster wheel there right now. That's a place obviously with strong institutional ambition that's tasted success in football and, and what can, uh, what, what could come with that. So I'll, I'll return a question with a question. Cause I think all those places would, would love to have John Beeline. I mean, if John Curry could get him to wake Forest, what a coup, what a coup that would be. He would certainly not cower, with Shashevsky and, and, and Roy Williams uh, d- down the road there. Can he bring his son with him? Good question. And son, that's, that's Patrick, that, yeah, fired amidst uh, great uh, controversy at what, where was that? George Washington? Where were they? No, it was at Niagara. Niagara. That was it. Yes. Niagara. That's yeah, my yeah. Mac, Pat. Okay. You can yes. have your Mac. <laughs> I got my Mac. All right. 
Yeah, Greg Paulus, the old Duke point guard, right. the Syracuse quarterback, has taken over and actually done a really nice job there. He was uh, he was Patrick Beeline's top assistant. So Patrick Beeline, if John Beeline, I think comes back, and again, this is I am this is pure speculation. I want to be very clear about this, but I would imagine the incentive of having his son and being able to potentially revive his son's career would be a huge lore wherever that may be. Yeah, no, I, that 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 part of it is a key part. I think we'll see. You know, how how difficult a sell that would be to an AD, I don't know, um, because there is some baggage there. Okay, and then my other two possibilities, they're not in a pot per se, but Vanderbilt, which if they if Jerry Stackhouse just decides, you know what, I'm not in this college thing. I was brought here by an AD who's already gone. This isn't for me. I want to go back and coach in the pros. We're terrible. Or, which I think may be the most likely Good job to open. Texas is back, folks. Shaka Smart, year five. It's not working for him. They just lost by 29 to a bad Iowa State team. He could reunite with Luke Yaklich, who was his defensive guru at Michigan and was now on the staff with Shaka. What are your thoughts on those two jobs for Beeline? Wow. I mean, what what great fits, right? Like, he sort of has Vanderbilt sensibilities and, you know, like, fit in line with a, a Kevin Stallings, a, a, a fine develop, build, style win in, in an antidote in the SEC. I mean, just Texas is so much of a better job. And I know that the, the, the arena stinks. It's like the worst arena in all of major sport, major basketball. I mean, it's just awful. What a yeah, dreadful... It's a, it's a I zone. loathe Total going to games zone. there. I, I, yeah. It's just like going to a game in your grandparents' basement. It's just like, <laughs> it might as well have mothballs in it. Like, it's just... And it's been bad for 15 years, and quite frankly, through some good teams. Like, it was yeah. dreadful when oh, they had Kevin Durant, and it's been, yeah. you know, d- dreadful for all this. And there, Texas is just behind. Like, the yeah. football team is basically having a, a full year in not trailers, but trailers, like temporary offices this year, so they can do a building project that every other team in the Big 12 did 10 years ago. Yeah. Like, no, Oklahoma was doing this stuff. 10 years ago under Bob Stoops, Baylor's facilities in every way possible in football and basketball are exponentially nicer than Texas. Yeah. How did that happen? I mean, Texas crazy. Tech, same yeah. thing. Like, because obviously Chris Beard would, would be the name there. He's a graduate. It would make it would make sense in a lot of ways. But like you're leaving behind better bones. Right. Than right. Than, than yeah. they have there. Now, Texas can't afford to overpay you, but they are just so ridiculous ridiculously, brutally behind right now. Now, John Beal, I wouldn't care about that. You know, he was at Lemoyne and he was he's been at all these places where he's been uh, he he's been fine. And and like he could in the state of Texas, he could find players and, and develop them. And I have unflailing faith in John Beeline as a basketball coach, just because I've seen it over and over and over again. And, and he's done such such a good job. And it took a little while at Michigan, if you remember. You know, it wasn't, oh, yeah, it wasn't no, overnight. The first and three years were pretty shaky. Yes. You know. He was 21 and 33, I want to say, in Big Ten play his first three seasons. And then all of a sudden it got going. So, and no, that's the thing. I mean, he is not necessarily a wave a magic wand guy. He's no. a make your program better, but I mean, inevitably, irrevocably better. But it may not, you know, it may take a few years because, as you said, he's an identified, developed, you know, he is not, I'm going to go swoop in and grab three five stars 
you know, out of nowhere. And, and all of a sudden we're just going to throw talent on the floor. So that's the other thing at age 67. Okay. But uh, if I were an AD out there, if I'm Chris Del Conte or somebody else who's making a change, John Beeline's probably getting my first call. Would you call Beeline over Beard? Oh, well, no, 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 no. I would call Beard first. I mean, uh, yes, yeah. I would definitely get, I would call Beard. I just, I, I would be pessimistic about getting him. I would agree. If I'm Beard, I go to the NBA. Yeah. If you're going like, anywhere. Yeah. When, when I see Brad Stevens around in Boston, I'm like, dude, you got out just in time. You know, like, <laughs> like here's the thing about Chris Beard. He is a pure basketball coach. A no. lot of modern college basketball coaches right now are like, they're like conniving player gatherers. You know, they, it's like, it's no, that, that's like the, the acquisition of talent is its own sport. And 80% of your energy is dedicated towards that. You know? Yeah. I mean, you, you know the drill. You've read the transcripts. We sat in the courtroom. It's become a deal cutting business instead of a basketball coaching business. And Chris Beard is one of the few guys who has the basketball coaching chops. And he also has the personality, skill, ability to relate, connect, and motivate to transcend up a level. I don't know if there's a ton of others that can do that. But since we're in these in these varying pots, Pat, let me ask you this. And we, we'll, we'll be talking about this a lot on the pod, but it's it's going to be a good topic. Should Bill Self beat the posse? Oh, that's yeah. Well, that's a great question. And, you know, let's see now. They have gotten their notice of allegations. I don't know whether they've responded to it yet. Then we have another response. And then, I mean, they should their thing should be wrapped up this summer. Right. Theoretically. Yeah. So before the 2020-21 season, if I were Bill Self, hell yes, I would beat the posse. You know, I would go take that NBA job and I would go. Okay, thing is, I, Kansas so far has been so completely in denial about this, so utterly enabling that I think if Bill Self gets a, like a one-year suspension, they'd stand by him, say, okay, you know, we'll have whoever coach him for a year and then we'll bring you back, Bill. I really think they would. I think they're that far into the into the bag on this thing. I don't know if they formally responded yet, but they did publicly respond. Yeah. Which was like standing on a mountaintop, hoisting two middle fingers up in the air towards Indianapolis. <laughs> right. It was like, hey, Mike Garrett, can you tell us how you screwed up that USC case? Because we'd like to we'd like to copy your playbook. <laughs> well, speaking of schools giving the middle finger to the NCAA. You went and saw Memphis play Sunday in uh, Hartford against uh, UConn. And Memphis in a world of hurt. And Ooh. we're going to find out exactly how much hurt. But but it's going to be a lot of hurt, I have a belief. And uh, tell me about your column. Tell the, the listeners about your column from there and your thoughts on Penny and Memphis. Yeah, so I was struck by Penny's humility. You know, for, for a guy who for two years has had a bravado with the sort of poking Rick Barnes right in the chest. And I see Sully the Vol nodding his head. <laughs> balled up fist, actually. That, yes. That's what I have. I have yes. a balled up fist. Balled up fist. <laughs> yes. Between doing that and then coming right out to uh, Dana O'Neill from The Athletic in this fall and saying this team can win a national championship. Penny is all of a sudden just like everybody else. He's a dude walking through an AHL arena in the middle of Hartford on a Sunday night, just dying to find a way to get his team a win. Penny ain't that special. That was my big takeaway from, from that. And here's the fascinating thing I, I left Connecticut thinking last night, Pat. This now there is there are good players on the floor there. You know, Memphis had more talent than UConn yesterday. They've had more talent than most of the teams they played in the AAC. It's not even close. Precious Achu will be like the 25th pick in the draft. And uh obviously they have Jeffries coming back. They've got some good little sort of 
Cracker Jack guards who like are great bad shot makers. And, you know, they all in all, like they were a fairly fun team to watch. Like they're athletic. They play really hard. They did do some nice extras nose things out of uh, out of timeouts. They weren't a like roll the ball out, undisciplined, uninterested unit. So th- fr- from that sense, I-, I give Penny credit. He's done a good job. So you will bring back a core right now. They had one Juco kid on their roster who's a senior. Everybody else was either freshman, sophomore, redshirt, sophomore. So you're going to lose a Chua. There's probably going to be some attrition. Boogie Ellis just hasn't been that good. You know, he's been a bust. Um, now, but look, he could get better. This 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 happens, right? So you come back next year with the five of your freshmen, of your seven, of your number one class returning, and you're like, okay, that's like a pretty good nucleus. You can you can be an AAC favorite. They could get Greg Brown, the big kid out of Texas. They could get Jalen Green, who's a top 10 kid out of California. So there's a, there's a case to be made that Penny gets through the season, lands the plane, and they're back as a top 10 team next year. There's also a case that could be made that they have zero recruits signed for next year, which they just signed seven. So that's not like that out of the realm. Mike Miller has been lobbying very hard behind the scenes for head coaching jobs. And there is a lot of smoke that he will not be back at Memphis next year. Mike Miller is their lead recruiter. I can't tell you from the top of the mountain, he's been the lead recruiter on Brown and Green, but he's certainly, you know, their most important guy on that staff. Cody Topper came there. He's an NBA guy who's a player development guy. He is not a uh, not a recruiter. So if Mike Miller leaves, then you got to think all of a sudden the roster can fracture and Penny could be in trouble. There's there's two very there's a very distinct fork here that comes at the end of year two. And I had an NBA scout tell me this yesterday, who's seen Memphis a bunch this year. He said next year we'll really learn if Penny can coach because he had Wiseman. Literally, Wiseman was like living with him, or you know, he was paying for his moving expenses, which is why they got all this trouble in the first place, and why Wiseman got run off. So you had that class. Penny has not proven he's like this high end basketball coach, right? That after two years, we can say that very very safely. So So if you are not stacking great classes back to back to back like the Kansases do, like the Dukes have done, like the Kentuckys have done, you better have the coaching ability to bring along and develop a unit. And we don't know that. So the scout said to me, we'll really learn about Penny in year three. And I thought that was the the safest, uh, the safest takeaway where, you know, the college basketball is a year to year business and Memphis is just like everybody else right now. There's two presumptions there. We got to see how these things play out. One or any of these guys, other guys going to get the big idea that they need to go pro too, because they thought they should have been no matter what, whether they're playing well or not, Lester Mm -hmm. Quinones or some of the other uh, DJ Jeffries, you know, are they, Gonna, are they going to throw their names in? Secondly, how bad is it going to be with the NCAA? Because oh yeah, that no that's, that's the big question. You know, there is a a major looming case. We don't know where it is in the pipeline. When you know there will be a a filing or whatever. But when Penny and Laird Veach, the AD, and everybody got decided to get all caped up on behalf of James Wiseman and play him after being told he was ineligible and going to court, that guaranteed major, major case. And if they lose, if they come out on the wrong end of the major case, I'm not sure Penny coaches again. I'm not sure they have a postseason to be in next year. They're going to have a lot of issues potentially from that. That's their biggest problem, I think. No question. And it's a time of reckoning for the NCAA right now. People are waiting for results. Like I wrote my column yesterday, daring the NCAA to punish you has become a trend. It's become a strategy. Smart people, seemingly David Rudd went to Princeton, the Memphis president. He's a smart guy. He sat in a room and said, let's poke the bear. 
and like rally our populist fan base with a mm-hmm. with a short term decision that could backfire long term because who cares? The NCAA has not shown that they can punish people long term. So you know what? Let's let's double down on the moment. Try to make another Final Four. And if you look at the history of Memphis athletically, if you go back to uh, if you go back to Dana Kirk and you go back to John Calipari and now Penny Hardaway with this upcoming NCA decision that should be coming down the pike. And by the way, shame on the NCA if that doesn't come quick. Like there's no that right. is not a complicated case. That does not need to take two years. I've two gripes about the NCA process right now. They've always been slow, but they shouldn't be slow on these cases. And and what this federal scandal has really shown us about that process is every single notice of allegations and every single letter and every single communication should be public because there's no, no sh- there's no shame in in having an NCAA investigation anymore. It's almost like a point of pride. Like these schools have all these artful dodges and look like you've been haranguing Creighton and rightfully so to try to put that out. Like if you're breaking the rules, there shouldn't be dodges to hide from it. That's a huge flaw in what the NCA is doing right now. And the membership should get together and hold the membership accountable because everybody wants to until it's on them. I agree 100 percent that the ability to hide notices of allegations, to keep quiet all of the interactions between a school and the NCAA enforcement is it, all it does is help people keep things in the dark, which is not what this should be about, you know. And I've been told, well, it's supposed to, it's a collaborative process, not an adversarial process. Well, Sorry. I mean, the, some things I think the people have a right to know. You know, the, the South Carolina letter, which we wrote about last week, they got it on January 31st. But it was quiet because who was going to make them put it out there? Nobody. So, you know, and that's the same thing. Where do things stand with Memphis? Where do things stand with Auburn? Where do things stand with Louisville? Where do things stand with Arizona? Where do things stand with LSU? The longer nothing happens, the more it solidifies the belief in some people's minds that nothing is going to happen, which I don't think is the case. But too much time, too little transparency, and you start breeding that uh, cynicism. No doubt about it. That idea, Pat, that we just figured out in like minute 42 of our podcast is better than anything the Rice Commission came up with. And they uh, <laughs> they went to a lot of fancy hotels and ate a lot of catered lunches. And there were a lot of people who've been to basketball a lot of years. And that is like a simple idea that actually adds transparency. Everybody talks about transparency, transparency, transparency. That's actual transparency. I think the fans deserve to know. I think the recruits deserve to know. Everybody that has a stake in the game should be able to know what's going on, where and why. The stigma surrounding cheating is gone. It's yeah. Gone. Oh, yeah. Totally. Totally gone. But speaking of which, the uh, the Nike trial, or the, the Avenatti trial, I should say, wrapped up in New York. Feds win another one. Avenatti found guilty. Probably is going to get some serious prison time out of it for allegedly shaking down Nike, attempting to extort them. But one of the things, obviously, that came out of the trial, other than Avenatti's guilt, was a lot of light shined. And actually, quite frankly, I have to say, we had already written about a lot of it at Yahoo previously last year. But about how Nike was doing business. I like when you still call us we, Pat. Makes me happy. (laughs) My name, my byline was on those stories, dang it. (laughs) It was a we at the time. Give him the we. It was a we at the time. I'm nostalgic for the we. That's all. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so now where does Nike stand in this is, you know, Adidas got put on the griddle, raked over the coals, whatever mm-hmm. you want to say. People lost their jobs. People went to jail. What's going to happen to Nike, Pete? It's a good question. And, and so far right now, it's nothing. And I, I have not seen anything. And, and, and maybe you have uh, now that we're not we anymore. Um, it, it, has there been any movement for Oregon and for these places that were I- implicated in the in the Nike piece of this in the Avenatti piece of this? Because the. 
clearly the tactics were wrong and shaking down is bad and extorting. Obviously, it's he will find out in a harsh federal manner what the consequences of that were. But that also does not mean the information brought forth through the uh, Southern California AAU coach was wrong either. Right. And so yeah. the the federal thirst member, June Kim and William Sweeney and the boys, and we have your playbook and, and, and all that. There doesn't seem to be the same federal thirst to take a take a long look at uh, old Phil Knight's boys there. And uh, it's been it's been fascinating because it's really been like an illuminating look in how EYBL and Nike and the whole recruiting world works. But publicly, there's really no interest in it all. Federally, there doesn't appear to be any interest at all. And it'll be interesting to see how the NCAA does take a look at, handle, investigate those things. Like, Bull Bulls, 10 games of college basketball should probably be revoked, right? Like, like, is there any punishment for Dana Altman for uh, for that? And there, there were other tentacles, you know, Brandon McCoy at, uh, at UNLV. DeAndre Ayton. <laughs> Yes, as, as if yeah. Arizona doesn't have enough uh, doesn't yeah. have enough impending NCAA issues right now. So, yeah, Arizona, by the way, is the only team in college basketball, even with this alleged NCAA anvil over their head, to have three first round picks on their roster. If you look at, depending on whose mock draft you look at, How about it's that? kind of amazing. Yeah, like it is, you know. I just think I don't know if they looked at the calendar and said, "Look, if we're going to get nailed, it's not going to happen this season." So you guys come on, go here, and then we'll see you after after a year. You go pro and. And then we'll figure it out. But the Nike thing is fat to me that the two the two biggest mysteries I have that I wish the feds would explain why they have not gone after Nike and why they didn't go after Andy Miller, the agent for whom uh, Christian Dawkins worked. So I would love to hear just some explanation on how those people kind of ended up outside of the prosecution and everybody else got ground up by the prosecution. If I were one of the people facing jail time, like essentially Nike had their own TJ Gasnolas. That's what yeah. that's what this sure. offered us a, 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 a window into. And and certainly no sympathy for TJ Gasnola, all right? Like he was a mm-hmm. he was a middleman right out of central casting and he was he was doing things that were illicit by NCA rules, and we later learned illegal under federal standards. But like, yep. who cares about the NCA part of that? That's like fake. That's like monopoly. You know, that, that's just <laughs> not the real world. Like these people are like sitting in jail. When you look at Book Richardson, and you know, there were reports. Jim Gatto, about, yeah, Jim Gatto still Christian waiting Dawkins. an appeal. Uh, right. Ramon yeah. Evans uh, reportedly um, was was facing deportation. Like that's like right. real life consequences yeah. for, for for breaking rules that are selectively enforced. And if if I were like even Adidas, which is on a corporate level in a in a blood fight with Nike every day, never mind on a grassroots basketball level, I would be livid that there was not similar scrutiny. Livid. Absolutely. That's you know one area where people complain about NCAA inconsistency. Well, this is federal inconsistency. And as you said, they're playing for keeps there. People are going to jail. People are losing their jobs, et cetera. Yes. And so. I realize fully, by the way, the feds have better things to do than worry yeah. about. Hey, right. like, I, was- like, like, oh, there is enough going on in our country where I don't, I, I'm not sitting here saying they better go after them. They better. No, but like it is just clearly and blatantly unfair that that one was given a colonoscopy and the other one was given a pat on the back for cooperation and then then they threw away yeah. a cra- crazy lawyer who antagonized the president what it's, a system it's, it's a fascinating dichotomy that's all it is yeah all right we got before we wrap this up we got to get to uh to one of our staples here airplane etiquette oh i have declared death to all service animals obviously <laughs> on airplanes but 
There's another issue. We're going to get PETA is going to sponsor our podcast now. <laughs> Even before service animals and, and, and Pat's tirade against them, I, I don't think PETA was, is going to go for, for our podcast anyway. Probably not. Probably chicken not. wars. Chicken uh, wars. I don't know. Feral hogs mm -hmm. shooting out of helicopters. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a few issues PETA probably has with us. By the but, way, this is by far and away of all this season, the most we've talked about actual college sports. <laughs> like, oh, it's I not, even, it's not even close. It's not Wetzel's going to be just horrified, but yeah, too bad. He, be he's going to coach some about. poor girls soccer team to a 53 nothing win. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, like, what are these guys doing? That's right. Uh, well, all right. So, but we got an airline issue. A very a hot button topic out there is reclining seats. Ooh. And there was the video of a guy basically losing it because a woman reclined a seat on him and he was just like, he was banging on the back of her seat, right? Like just constantly. You and I, we, we, boy, we spent a lot of time on planes. Yes. Do you or do you not recline? How do you feel about people who recline into you? What, where do you stand on this very important societal issue? Yes, the, the, the issue in 2020 staring us all right between the eyes. Sure. I am a, a non-recliner. Yep. I only recline when the person in front of me reclines to recover space. And that's mostly because I, I assume you're the same way, Pat. 85% of the time I'm in flight, I have my laptop up. Yeah. Like like a flight is work time. Like maybe if I have like a 6 a.m. flight uh, to the West Coast or something, I'll sleep. But for the most part, like I'm not reading. Like I, I buy a newspaper for takeoff and landing when your phone's gummed up and just try to like zone out maybe for, for a little bit of time there. For the most part, I make sure my computer's charged in case there's no plug. And I'm going to use those four hours to efficiently to, to work. So there's no worse feeling on your laptop when oh. like you're just sitting there and then it just like crunches back. Yeah, yeah. And no, that it, guy needs yeah. to die. The guy that yeah. reclines into your laptop. Yes. That, <laughs> yeah. It's good Pat doesn't have strong feelings about this. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I only do it. I, I, I only recline when reclined into. I have been known when like people are like in the process of reclining to like do an arm bar in the post against the recline. <laughs> to <try. laughs> if it's going to crush my laptop. Okay. Like, yeah, I hand checking, I feel like should be legal in the seat recline <laughs> process. Forget on this the flip side, though. I think I think the guy that was tapping is a giant loser. Oh, well, like that's not is. that's yeah. not how you handle no, that at no, all. No, the passive aggressive. That's silly. You know, just oh, say something I to the woman. And if she doesn't it. like it, then you got to deal yeah. with it. Sorry. Yeah. Right. So, Pat, you're yeah. taller. I mean, I'm I'm yeah. a, a nose under six foot. You, Pat, you're probably about six, three, six, two. Six two, yeah. okay. Like, but that those two inches are big two inches when you're in modern airplane flight. How do you react yeah. when uh, reclined into? Not, not very happy. Um, <laughs> never, I've never said anything to anybody because I've always thought, okay, it's their constitutional right to recline if they want. I do, I do not recline. I, I guess I have a couple of times went in the in the as you said the the recover space mode, but yeah. for the most part, I do not, and I don't. Uh, care for people who do recline into me at all. I have a bigger problem, actually, with the people who grab the back of your chair to pull themselves up out of their seat, especially oh. if they're like large people who can't do it. And all of a sudden your chair's getting yanked, you know, or they're coming back from the bathroom and they're yanking it again to get back into their seat. It's like, get your hands off of my seat. Okay. So I have a lot of a lot of airplane gripes. My biggest bone to pick is the armrest thing. And Jim Jeffries, the, the Australian comedian's got a great stand up uh, yeah. about it. But the center armrest has two. Yep. The 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 aisle has one and extra leg room. And the window has one and the window. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like you have your one in the window, but people that deviate from that standard system drive me insane. You uh, know, like I'm with you. I think I think if you're look, because I hate the middle seat more than I hate anything except for service animals. But uh, <laughs> and Nevada in the in the red zone against in whatever bowl game that was. But no, you going to make uh, an Eastern Michigan reference. <laughs> Disaster. Disaster, <laughs> Eastern Michigan. And UMass for sitting on the ball and not covering. Anyway, the, but no, that, that, the, if you're in the middle seat, you should get both armrests. It's your, you know, that's that's the one perk of being in that terrible, terrible position. I don't have, like, as much as I've flown, I don't have, like, strong armrest opinions. Because yeah. I'm, I'm like, my arms are out on my computer, so I'm not really, like, dealing with it. I put them down to, like, define lines. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I don't like, like having them up. Nope. Yeah, I like to find. I want to find space. Uh, but yeah. but other than that, like I'm just I'm just gonna not use them because if I'm, I'm reading here or I'm here, so I don't really. Yeah. Uh, I I don't. I I have never gotten like the elbow chicken game with uh, <laughs> that, that that some people have uh, have. We over need to get you. Pat in the middle seat, sandwiched between two service animals, and, <laughs> and just stick a camera on him. <laughs> it'll be the last the flight I ever take. Because, uh, it'll be it'll be a murder suicide, man. Everybody would be dead by the time the plane lands. This is it. This that is it. it. Yeah. <laughs> that would be it. That would be the snap. I would snap and be gone. So, all right. Then when the uh, yeah the Delta president came out and actually said that he thinks that you should ask permission to recline. Uh, what do you think of that? I think like my goal when I get on a plane is to not talk to anyone. <laughs> like that's my goal. Like yeah. I yeah. usually I, have I my share trust- that goal. My, my trusty Red Sox hat on pulled over my eyes. Uh, if it's a morning flight, there's a good chance I'm not shaving. I'm trying to look as unfriendly as possible. Like, there's nothing You need to worse. put, like, one of those masks on, and then nobody's going to talk to you because <laughs> yeah. you could be sick with the coronavirus, and <laughs> nobody's getting around you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a mask guy, although I was going in CVS the other day, and there was, like, a sign that said, uh, we're sold out of masks. And I was like, wow. There's a shortage. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, they're, no. they're flying off the shelves. They are. Yeah. 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 But um, – no, I, you know, I'm, I, I agree with you. At first, I don't want to talk to anybody, but if, you know, if I feel, I don't. Pat, you don't want to talk to us on the podcast. <laughs> I really don't want to do that either. But I am being paid to do it, so I will. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I kind of like the, that idea that you know, if you, if you feel the need to recline the seat, just turn back around, and say, hey, you okay if I recline this? And and then we got a little kumbaya. Somebody, unless of course they say no, screw you. Um, but. You know, I think a little a little communication there. While I hate communication on the planes, could be a could be a good thing. It's better than being a nerd tapping the the back of your yeah. seat at yeah. the very least. <laughs> that's God bad. Bless. That is bad. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the pod for this week. Uh, we will cover more important etiquette questions and other societal issues next week. I'm sure when Wetzel's back, we'll talk less sports, more stupidity. Um, if he does survive his Corona drinking in Florida or wherever the heck he is. So thanks for listening. Check us out. Leave a review, etc. We'll talk to you next week. Put up your tray tables. <laughs>